already? We're into September now, and it's crazy, eh? It went by so fast. Uh, our family loves September. It's this, the season of pumpkin spice and everything. Pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin pie. Any pumpkin pie people here? Yes, yeah. Spice. It's a beautiful time of year. It's nice and cool outside. Um, so yeah, we, we really enjoy this time of year. But uh, uh, so so yeah, as we, as we go into September, we're gonna we're gonna be starting a new series on on Ephesians, the Book of Ephesians. So if you haven't read the Book of Ephesians in a while, this book is it really is a masterpiece. There is a lot of it is a very dense book. It's a lot of a lot of theology that's that's stuck in there. So we're gonna kind of work through it slowly. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians one. Uh, for everyone on Zoom land, grab your Bibles. And so Wayne went into a little bit of the background uh, about the church in Ephesus, so I won't go into too much detail here. Uh, but, but as we see uh, from the story in Acts, Paul showed up to the church in Ephesus when they, they had only heard about the, the baptism of John. So Paul shows up and uh, he... he Praise for them that they might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, as Wayne was saying, the church in Ephesus grew quite, quite big, and, and it was quite a prominent center for early Christianity. And Paul's ministry there was, was very, it was short, but it was very powerful. He, he did a lot of uh, preaching, and he also uh, ministered, uh, he, he bore witness to the power of the kingdom of God. So we see in Acts, Acts story, Paul actually would give out handkerchiefs, and people would bring these handkerchiefs to people who were sick, and when they touched them, they would be healed. So this is a huge manifestation of the kingdom's power. And so here, as we read in Ephesians, Paul is actually in prison, and he's writing to this Ephesian church. So let's, let's pray before we begin. We're going to read through a lot of chapter 1, and like I said, it's a very dense text. So let's pray that God will reveal... Uh, his truths to us. So, Father, we thank you for your truth that you've given us in your word, Scripture. We thank you for your apostles and the people that you've, you've chosen to, to bring your ministry forth. And we ask that you would give us wisdom as we journey through this, this heavy passage, this very difficult passage, that you would give us wisdom, that you would show us what you want us to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. So, Ephesians 1, we're going to look at verse 13 to 14. So, turn it to me there. And I'm going to read this slowly. If you need to close your eyes and, and meditate on these words, I want you, as I'm reading, to, to really pay attention to if there's something that stands up to you or something that, that jumps up to you as we read together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So I want to ask you, did anything stand out to you as we were reading? Yeah? In him. Exactly. You're, you're preaching my sermon for me. <laughs> for those on Zoom, we didn't hear uh, Gwen said, there's a lot of times that it says, in him. Anyone else have anything that stood out to you as we read? Christian journey, 
So you hear someone say, oh, I'm so blessed that uh, I got this car for a really good deal. So then oh, that gets attached to the word blessing. The more people use it in a certain way, uh, these words start to build up these meanings and become pretty heavily loaded. So I want us to be aware that a lot of these words, we have these ideas of what they mean in our head. And today I just want to, I want to peel back a few of those layers and a few of those magnets just so we can try to read the words as what Paul is intending for the words to mean, based on what the scriptures say. Does that make sense? We're going to peel back some of these layers of, of what we think these words mean. So, uh, as we read through the first little bit of this, um, I don't know about you, but often the word... So, yes, as we start reading through this passage, um, I don't know about you, but the term, a lot of these terms around predestination, election, uh, all of these terms kind of jump out at me. And I know this, this passage is, is a favorite for a lot of people who have a more Calvinist bent, and I'm not against the Calvinists, I love the Calvinists. Um, but I think sometimes these words around predestination and election, they get really attached, like the magnets, to all these things that maybe Paul is not trying to emphasize here. So let's peel back some of these layers and let's take a look at what he's meaning by uh, we are his, God's predestined people, we're elected. So I think a key to this is understanding his use of the word blessed. So if you look at verses three, uh, verse three, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's a lot of blessing going on, isn't it? And so, what does Paul mean when he uses this word blessing? I think it's important that we, we look at the scriptures that Paul was using, which is the Old Testament. So, uh, one passage that is really strong in this idea of blessing is in Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3. And this is where God takes Abraham and blesses him. And here he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a lot of blessings again, isn't it? Bless, bless, I will bless you. So what's happening at this point in scripture? This is when God is choosing Abraham and his family to be the family who he's going to bless the world through. Uh, so, so God picks Abraham and says, I'm going to bless the world through you. And eventually, as we know, Abraham's family grows to become Israel. And so, you might say that God predestined Abraham, or he elected and chose Abraham and his family, Israel, to be his chosen people. That's what Israel's known, known that's the name for Israel, that they're God's chosen people. So this language around being chosen, being predestined, is heavily loaded and heavily uh, found in the Old Testament. And this is actually what Paul says in Romans 9. Paul says, For I wish that I myself were cursed to cut off Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. That sound familiar? Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. And later on in this passage, he says, uh, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, 
not by works, but by him who calls. Uh, Rebecca was told that uh, the older will serve the other. So he's talking about Jacob and Esau there. But notice these words, uh, adoption to sonship, uh, God's purposes and election. These are all the same language that he's using in this Ephesians passage. And so, so what was Israel elected to do? What were they chosen to do? There's a long list of things they were chosen to do, but some of them include being a blessing to the nations around them, uh, being holy, we often see that, be holy because I am holy, uh, to experience his presence. God's presence was with them. Uh, Israel was chosen to be his treasured possession. They were chosen to be his children. Do you, do you recognize, do any of these ring a bell? These, these were all things and phrases that were listed in this Ephesians passage about being a blessing, uh, being holy, experiencing the Holy Spirit, being his treasured possession, being his children. So the, the point of this election predestination thing is that all of these promises that were once for Israel are now for all of us who have faith in Christ. This is what Paul is meaning when he's using these words. This is really, really important to recognize because sometimes these words have been loaded in terms of God kind of picking and choosing who he wants to go to heaven and hell. And, and it's just, it's not, it's not the framework that Paul is using when he's discussing these, these terms. So we really have to understand when we're reading these words, we've got to think of the whole narrative of Scripture. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? Maybe a nod or a, or a no. <laughs> okay, okay. So another thing, as Gwen was saying, another very important thing, part of this passage, is the in him statement. Paul often says, in him, or in Christ. I'm just going to read some of it very quickly and, and pay attention to this. Praise be to the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. It just goes on and on. In him, in him, in him. Are you getting the point of what Paul's trying to say here? It's all through Christ. It's all in him that we receive all these promises. It's only in Christ that we have access to, to blessing, to sonship, to blamelessness, to grace, redemption, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are all the things he's talking about here. And it's only because we are in Christ that we are able to receive all these things. So, what does this actually mean to be in Christ? We Sometimes this language, we, we get so familiar with it, and then if we're asked to discuss what does this mean, it, uh, sometimes it can be a challenge for us to describe or understand what this means. And But this is a huge, this is a very important question. I think for, for a number of Christians, this idea of being in Christ is, is this idea that Christ is this really good teacher, and uh, I am the student, and all I do is I just learn about the things he's doing, and uh, I'll enroll myself in his class, and I'll really try hard to remember the things that he was teaching so that I can 
I can try to live to, to my best ability. But that's a lot of people picture being in Christ kind of in that way. And that's not totally wrong, but it's, it's not, this is not the full picture of, of what it means to be in Christ. I just want to read a few verses about what this means about being in Christ. So in Ephesians, later on in here, he says, God placed everything under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who filled everything in every way. The church is his body, the fullness of him who filled everything in every way. And then in 2 Peter 1, verse 3-4, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Have participation in the divine nature. First Corinthians, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. He also says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So no, notice here, this is, doesn't this seem like a little bit more than just trying to learn, learn from a person? This is a lot of spiritual language here of, of us being united to Christ, of us having his spirit uh, in us and his spirit working through us. Using my, my teacher-student example, this is not like us sitting and watching Jesus do all this stuff and we take notes kind of thing and hope, hope we can learn and do our best. This is about us actually being Jesus' hands and feet as he is the teacher. As he writes on the board, we're, we are the hand that is obedient to him writing on the board. If he chooses, if he wants to move this direction, we're the feet of his representatives on earth. And so this, this is a subtle difference that is is very key for us, I think, to recognize. Obviously that example is not perfect because it's a teacher-student thing, but, but we are body of Christ. This is like the Paul often uses. We are his body. Christ is the head. We are his body. So, participating in this divine nature, what this looks like, we, we kind of discussed this in our Experiencing God series, what this looks like is, is hearing God's voice. What it looks like is practicing the gifts of the Spirit together. It looks like loving one another with godly love, uh, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. It, look, it also looks like actively participating in the ministry that Christ did when he was on earth. So, uh, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, uh, loving our enemies. These are all things that Christ was doing in his ministry, and we are his body that are continuing on his ministry. And, and none of this happens by our own works. This is what Paul's getting at. It's not us doing this work. It is totally God's grace and God's spirit working through us. So I think what I'm really trying to get at here is that being in Christ is a, is a very active thing. Because we're living in communion with an active spirit. A living person is, is living in us. Uh, this is communion with, with God. He changes us, He transforms us, and He empowers us to do His work. This is not about just saying a sinner's prayer so that we can go to heaven after we die. 
somehow the church has kind of fallen into this weird, this weird state where we're not very active. We're not very, we're not relying on the Spirit of Christ to, to guide us and lead us. Um, we're kind of just doing the bare essentials that we can to get into heaven after we die. But this, this is not what Paul's talking about here. This is not the early church. So I think we're really, we're really missing something, and I'm, I'm afraid that we're missing something. I know there's so, so many young people who are, oh, so not just young people, many people who are sitting in the church, and they come every Sunday, and, and they think, is this all there is to Christianity? Do I just come and listen to a pastor, and then go home and forget what he says? <laughs> is that, is that all we're doing? Is we're just, we say one prayer. We try to live our best life, try to learn some stuff, and then go home. I'm not convinced. I don't think this is right. And I think we need to wake up to our calling as God's children, as His children, as His body. We need to, to wake up to this so that we can begin to do and participate in His work. So I, I came up with this kind of example to illustrate this. Uh, so imagine our Prime Minister calls you up one day, and he says to you, uh, I really want you to be my assistant. He says, uh, I, will, I have all the authority over the country, and I just want you to come and work with me and participate in the work that I'm doing, because I really like you. You're a really cool person. And you, you'll have my authority to do all my work. Uh, just, just come and yeah, just say yes to the job offer. And you would probably think, wow, this is... This is pretty crazy that the Prime Minister thinks I'm worthy to be his assistant. I don't have any political experience. I actually don't really know anything about politics. Uh, come to think of it, I, I don't even have the money to go to Ottawa to live there or anything like that. I don't have a way of getting there. And so you, you share all these things with him and he says, don't worry about it. I, all your expenses are paid. All you have to do is just say yes and I'll send someone to pick you up. You come and live here in Ottawa with me and you'll be a part of our government family. I'll teach you how to do politics, it's not that hard. Uh, you just show up, just say yes to my offer, and you'll be included. I'm thinking you, you'll probably say yes, it sounds like a good opportunity, maybe the pay is pretty good. Um, but if you said yes to this job offer, you probably wouldn't show up to the job and, and just sit around talking about how unqualified you are the whole time, you wouldn't just sit around and just say, I got this job because of the Prime Minister's grace. Uh, so if I actually start trying to do some work, that, won't that show that I'm trying to earn the job based on my own works? Like, you see what I'm getting at here? This just doesn't make sense. You already got the job. You, the Prime Minister already picked you, and all you have to do is say, yes, I'm, I'm willing to come and do the job. Even though you had no experience, uh, it was 100% his grace and his, his choosing you to be a part of his government. Are you starting to see where I'm getting at with this? Sometimes in the Protestant church we've kind of fallen into this, this thing where we, we spend so much time talking about how unqualified we are, which is true. We're totally not qualified to be a part of Christ's body. And, but we spend all this time talking about it and we end up thinking that that nothing we do actually matters because it's because we're just worthless sinners. And this is this is true, we're worthless, but, but that's the whole point, is that God elected us and chose us, even though we were totally unqualified, to be a part of his body. 
He called us to this, to this job, to this, this calling. So we're called to be a part of God's family, and we are saved in order to become active members of his family. Uh, some of the language Paul also uses is we're ambassadors of, of his kingdom. We're children of God. And notice that whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus sends out his disciples, he commissions them. He gives them a job description. He says, go out, make disciples, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He gives them these, these job descriptions. He's not just sending them out saying, I saved you and good luck, go do the best you can. He's saying, I have given you authority as my body to do this work, so go and do it. So I don't, I'm not saying that it is not a huge gift. It is a huge gift that God has given us, that he, he sacrificed his life for us and for our sin. But he did this so that we can join in his work and become a part of his body. So, in conclusion, do you know that you are a part of God's chosen people in Christ? In Christ, you've got to remember the in Christ part. That you, he chose you to be holy and blameless in Christ. Do you know that you are blessed in Christ and you are called to be a blessing to the world around you? Just as God blessed Abraham and said, I want to make you a blessing to the world around you. He's given us that calling now too. We are on a mission to proclaim his kingdom. Do you know that you are an active member of the body of Christ? Do you know what part of the body you are? Are you the, the hand or the foot or the toe? Do you know what gifts God has given you to, to give to the, not just to the body, but to use for the spreading of his kingdom? Are you aware of these, these gifts that he's given you? So, whatever God has put on your heart, whatever gifts he has given you, let's, let's really strongly encourage each other to use our gifts for the building up of the body. And let's, let's really dive deep into uh, living out his kingdom, and, and not just living this a passive Christianity. Let's really trust in Christ and really, we have to know what he says before we know what he's called us to do. So let's really dive into the scriptures and, and say, Christ, if you want your disciples living this way, we're going to do it. We're going to trust you and we're going to... Let's be a church that, that lives that way. Does anyone have any questions or thoughts? sinners we are saved we have yeah. proved just by the blood of jesus we are no longer sinners we are saints in the kingdom of Strong 
thing that Paul is saying to us. Anyone else have any thoughts?